I want to talk again about the grace of God this morning, about the justifying grace of God in Jesus Christ. If you don't grasp what justifying grace is, you will live your life with the burden of trying to achieve God's favor. And unfortunately, even many who have come to believe in the gospel of Christ still don't quite grasp the justifying grace of God, and they're still living every day carrying a burden, wearying themselves, trying to achieve God's favor, instead of resting in the righteousness that God has provided for us in Jesus Christ. So you either live with joy when you understand God's justifying grace, or you live with the burden of religion, of trying to do enough to earn God's favor. And this morning, I hope you will leave here understanding more about the justifying grace of God. I want to read out of Galatians chapter 2 this morning. I'm picking up in the middle of the chapter, and I will get back to uh, the beginning of the chapter later in the message that gives a little bit of the context. But I'm most interested in these verses, and especially verse 16. So Paul says, when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, to Peter, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. What a powerful, profound, and yet simple passage that points us to God's provision of righteousness in Jesus Christ. At the core of the text is what we call justification, which simply means having a right standing with God. 
We understand it as a legal position. The opposite of justification would be condemnation. Justification declares that sinners are accepted by a holy God. They are accepted as righteous before a holy God. And if you understand the Bible, then you should begin to understand why justification is necessary. Simply because God is righteous. He is perfectly righteous. And he requires of you and of me perfect righteousness. We cannot be accepted by him or live in his presence unless we are perfectly righteous. So we recognize the problem because none of us are righteous. We may have self-righteousness. We may be trying to achieve a measure of goodness that we think might be acceptable to God, but all of our self-righteousness, our self-achieved righteousness is flawed. It's inadequate. And that's what makes the gospel such a beautiful story, a beautiful event, a beautiful truth, that Christ came and he lived the righteous life that we have failed to live. And he died the death that we deserve to die because of our unrighteousness. And when we believe in him, he imputes to us, he grants to us freely his righteousness so that God looks at us in the righteousness of Christ. One pastor wrote the book called How Good is Good Enough? And I think it's an excellent question for anybody who is trying to achieve a right standing before God. How good is good enough? And the Bible answer is perfect goodness is what God expects. Perfect righteousness is what God expects. As we read the book of Galatians, we understand that Paul is arguing that not only in our initial standing in salvation in Christ do we need the righteousness of Christ, not only when we first come to believe uh, are we in need of being declared righteous, but Paul will argue that throughout our life, we always stand accepted in Jesus Christ, that there's not one thing that we do that can add to the perfect work of Jesus Christ. So Galatians is talking about how do I acquire, how do I maintain, and, fin- and how do I finally have a righteous standing before God? How do I get that righteousness? How do I keep that righteousness? And how do I know at the end, in the final judgment, that God will say, you are righteous, I accept you. And the answer of Galatians is simple. I acquire that standing in Christ. I maintain that standing in Christ. 
And when I stand before God someday in that final judgment, I stand in Christ, justified, accepted by him. Justification is one of the wonderful fruits of the gospel. The gospel, we know, is the good news about what a merciful God accomplishes for sinners in the person and work of Christ. Justification is the fruit of that. It's one of the blessings that comes to us because Christ has lived and died and risen again for us. When we read about justification in the Bible, we read about it in all three of those tenses that I talked about. There's that initial declaration of righteousness. There's that ongoing declaration of righteousness. And there's that final affirmation, declaration that God accepts us in Jesus Christ. What a wonderful, comforting joy every day. To know, as Paul said, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You have one or the other. You are in Christ and justified. Or you are condemned and lost. Some of you are familiar with the Anglican bishop N.T. Wright. He is a wonderful New Testament scholar from whom many of us have learned and been challenged in many ways. He's a skilled theologian, and he argues that Roman Catholics and Protestants have both misunderstood what the Bible teaches about justification. Of course, Roman Catholicism teaches that righteousness is not a declaration, it's what they call an infusion, that God gradually throughout your life makes you more like Christ. He infuses righteousness in you so that at the end you might be righteous enough if enough of Jesus's righteousness has been infused in you. And Bishop Wright correctly says they're wrong. That's not what the Bible teaches. But he also argues against the Reformation teaching that we are declared righteous before God in Jesus Christ. And uh, since this is Reformation Sunday, the beginning of Reformation week with uh, uh, October 31st being the 503rd uh, anniversary of Martin Luther nailing his 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg Castle, you should understand what is justification. Now, I disagree with that great scholar, Bishop Wright. He argues that justification is more about what he calls sociology, that is how people relate to each other or how they understand each other, than it is about soteriology, which is the word for salvation. 
He says justification does not have to do with God declaring you righteous. He says justification is how others look at you in your standing with God. He says when in the Old Testament, the Jews were marked out as God's people by their keeping of the law, by the, all the institutions, the, the mosaic ordinances, and this is what marked them out. He would say justified them as being the people of God. And he said that was a barrier, and he's correct there, by the way. That was a barrier to Gentiles coming in because the wall, the law was like a wall to them. So he says in the New Testament, we are justified in the eyes of those who look at us by our faith in Jesus Christ. We are marked out as the people of God. That is, he calls that being justified. We are marked out as the people of God because we confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Now, let me say there are nuances of what he's saying is true. Yes, you are marked out as a child of God because you confess Jesus Christ as Lord. But I think he misuses the biblical term justification. That justification is a legal term in which God, the moment you come to faith in Christ, God declares you righteous on the basis of the merits of Jesus Christ. It has to do with salvation. I like to say it's about soteriology, that is, it's about salvation, but it has sociological implications. It does affect how we relate to others and how others see us if we are truly made right in the eyes of God. And so this morning, that was all introduction, by the way. This morning, I want to talk about this great justification by God's grace in Jesus Christ. The contrast, if you look back again at verse 16, a wonderful verse that would be good for you to commit to memory. He sets the contrast there between what he calls the, the works of the law, which I will call self-righteousness, to the works of the law and the righteousness that comes to us by the grace of God, the righteousness that comes to us by faith. Paul is arguing, and he's referring now back to Peter's actions, that what he believes about the gospel, what Peter believed about the gospel, somehow did not work its way out into his everyday living. Because early in the chapter we read that Peter was fellowshipping with Gentile believers, and rightly so. Even though Jews considered Gentiles filthy and unclean, Peter understood that in Christ we are sinners declared righteous. We're on equal ground, equal standing, and he was enjoying good fellowship based in Jesus Christ. And then some Judaizers, some false teachers came down. And they were 
putting on believers the Mosaic law, wanting them to hold to the restrictions of the Mosaic law. And, and, and Peter came under pressure. Instead of living out the gospel, Peter gave in to them and he separated from his Gentile brothers in order to pacify those who were exalting the, the law. And so Paul writes to remind him to articulate very carefully. He, he writes to remind him about the justifying grace of God in Jesus Christ. So that's what I'm going to talk about this morning. Three points I want to make out of our text. Paul argues, first of all, that self-righteousness could never, ever make anyone acceptable before God. Self-righteousness was never God's plan. Look again in verse 15. He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. He's simply saying that all humanity, if you think about it, all humanity is on equal ground. All humanity is in need of justification. Yes, we were privileged, Paul would argue. We were privileged in the old covenant. We were the people of God. We were a kingdom of priests. We had a, a special standing before God as a nation. But that gives us no justification. Even Old Testament Israel, the chosen people of God, their special status did not save them from the wrath of God. They were redeemed from Egypt. They were given the law. They were constituted the people of God. They were in contrast to the Gentiles, at least as they saw themselves. They were not sinners. That's how they would describe themselves. But Paul argues that means nothing. None of those things, even God's choosing you as a nation, did not personally give you a righteous standing before God. You could never say, well, I'm a Jew. I keep the law. I make sacrifices. Because you remember, Paul said, I did all of those things. Paul said, surprisingly, I did all of those things and I was blameless before the law. And yet what things were gained to me, though I could pound myself on the chest as the Pharisee who came into the temple and boast to God of all that I've done, though I could do that, what was gained to me, he says, I count it a loss for Christ because you can't have both. You can't hold on with pride to your own self-righteousness and have the righteousness of Christ given to you. Because Jesus said he did not come to call the righteous. He came to call sinners to repentance. 
Justification by works and justification by faith are clearly, absolutely antithetical. They are placed, they are polarized against, against each other. It is either or, it's not a little bit of this and a little bit of that. You are either saved by yourself or you are saved by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But in order to get to that place, Paul argues that a self-righteous person, a law keeper, must come to the place where he will deny the law's power to make him righteous and therefore be declared a sinner. Because that's what Paul had to do. He had to look at the law and say, it can't make me right before God. I'm just like the Gentiles. I'm a sinner in need of justifying grace. If we endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were to be found sinners. That is, Paul's saying, if I want the righteousness of Christ, then the only way then that I can have it is to say that the law can't save me. The law can only condemn me. I'm a sinner. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Because he wants you to forsake the law and be known as a sinner? Because in the old covenant... If you forsook the law, if you denied the law, well, you could die, the death penalty for that. You, you were a sinner. But now Christ is saying, oh, the law can't save you. You must deny the power of the law to save you and see yourself as a sinner. If I rebuild, he says, what I tore down. That is, if I take that law and exalt it again like Peter was doing by following those mosaic regulations, if I rebuild what I tore down, when I tore it down and repented of my self-righteousness, he says, I proved myself a transgressor. And I find that an interesting twist on the law. Because he comes from the law as a means of righteousness. And now he says, if I follow the law as a means of righteousness, I'm not becoming righteous. I'm only showing myself to be a sinner if I'm trying to achieve righteousness by keeping the law. Paul will argue that when you erect law-keeping as a way of righteousness... You sin, you transgress. Religious people sin in their obedience. Self-righteous people sin in their attempts to make themselves pleasing to God because the law has no power to save. It can only expose who we really are. As Paul said in Romans 3, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped 
and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So Paul argues when you erect the law as a way of achieving a standing before God, you not only sin, but you diminish the work of Christ. You diminish the perfect work of God in Jesus Christ. You diminish that offer of perfect righteousness. And this is one of the consequences of religion. And I don't just mean false religion. I mean religious Christianity. When we have in our minds that there's still something more that I can do that can ingratiate me to God, that can enhance my relationship with God, that, that somehow my obedience, my goodness, my service can somehow make me more pleasing in the eyes of God. Paul would say, no, you detract from the glory of the gospel. Because the glory, one of the glories of the gospel is that God has made you perfectly acceptable in Jesus Christ. And when you say, I, I need to do more, I need to add to that, then you're saying that the work of Christ is not good enough. That what God provided is not sufficient enough. Self-righteousness can never gain a standing with God. It certainly cannot maintain a standing with God. And in the final judgment, it will not stand. It will not hold up as a means by which God will finally accept you in his presence. We need a perfect unchanging righteousness, what theologians would call an alien righteousness, a righteousness that comes from outside of you. It's not yours. It's foreign to you. It's Christ, and he gives it to you. I know that uh, some may get tired of my response to our common greeting, how are you? And you say, I'm good. And I confess, I think twice this week, someone, caught, someone else caught me. How are you? I'm good. No, you're not. <laughs> That's what you say. And you're right. I'm not good. On what basis does God accept us? Is it my goodness alone? Is it my goodness plus the work of Christ? Is it Christ's goodness that is somehow gradually infused in me? Or is it Christ's goodness and righteousness imputed to me, transferred to me, given to me freely as a gift because God is a God of grace? One of the great tragedies of not understanding the gospel of justification by grace is that people live their life without peace. They live their life without joy. 
because they, they never know. Am I, am I good enough today, God? Have I done enough? Have I prayed enough? Have I given enough? Have I worked enough? You know, will you really be happy with me today, Father? And your Father wants you to say, I am in Christ. I know I don't measure up. I know I never measure up. But you have made me, declared me righteous in Christ, and you love me in Christ, and that never changes. Paul will also argue in this text that self-righteousness, law-keeping, has no power to bring anyone from death to life. It's powerless. It may make you a better neighbor, maybe a better worker, maybe a better human being if you're really trying to be good. But you'll just be a better dead person, walking in death, as Ephesians says. No life with God, spiritually dead. Paul says, through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Don't get me wrong when I talk in a negative way about the law. I'm only talking about the law in a negative way when it comes to its ability to save you. The law is holy. The law is good. The law is God's given gift. It has a purpose, but its purpose is not to make you righteous and acceptable before God. Its purpose is to show you your unrighteousness and your inability to be acceptable to God so that you will cry out for mercy and cry out for his saving grace. In some sense, sinners apart from Christ are simply dead men who are walking around. They're dead in their sin, Ephesians 2 would say, and yet they're walking They're trying to achieve a righteousness by keeping the law, but they're still dead in their sin. They do not know the life of God. Because that's what the law is. The law is an instrument of death. It's not an instrument of life. Through the law, I died to the law. When I understood the purpose of the law, that the law was there to condemn me, to shut my mouth, to show me that I'm not righteous. When I, when I understood that, it's through that that I then died to the law. I no longer gave myself to, to, to uh, achieve my, my own righteousness. You know, once we take that first step on the road to self-righteousness, and that gets ingrained in our mind, and it's so easy to do. I know there's so many uh, 
forms of Christianity, even evangelical Christianity, that are what we call very performance-driven. You know, it's more about what you do, and we, we measure ourselves and our relationship to God by how much we do. We measure ourselves and relationship to others by how much more we do than they do. But that's not the gospel. And once you start down that road, it's an unhappy road. It's a miserable road. But we must, like Paul, come to embrace the law for what it is. We embrace its condemnation. We see God's standard and we feel and we understand and we know, I can't do it. I am condemned. And then we die to the law so that we might be united to Christ by faith. All the law cries out is death, death, death to every lawbreaker. And the only one in human flesh who never broke the law said, I will die the death that the law demands, that sinners deserve, so that they can live forever. The life that I have is a life in Christ, Paul says. Only because through faith I have identified with his crucifixion, because I've identified with his death for me, his death for my sin, I now share his life, but only because I share in his vicarious death. I love that verse. I like to think of it as my life verse, Galatians 2.20. A new life in Christ, he says, the life which I now live in the flesh. With all of its limitations, with all of its challenges, with all of its failures, with all of its imperfections, I am still living a life in Christ, in this weak flesh, but it's real. It's powerful. It's transforming. And he says, I live this life simply by faith in one who had a deep personal love for me. Don't mistake Paul's theology. He's not saying that the atonement of Christ was so particular that he only died for Paul. But he did understand that the work of Christ, the atonement of Christ was so personal that if you are in Christ, you can say, he loved me. And he gave himself for me. I don't know about you, but this is what changed my life on September 10th, 1970. And really, it's what empowers my life and gives me joy in my life every day of my life. He loved me. And I know me. And he knows me. But he loved me. And he gave himself for me. We 
do not want to, as he says in verse 21, we do not want to nullify the grace of God. How do you nullify the grace of God? How do you make it ineffective? Well, Paul would say you you can't experience grace, saving grace, living grace, sustaining grace. You can't experience grace as long as you think that you deserve it. That you've achieved some measure of holiness or obedience for which God should reward you with grace. Now, Paul says, I don't nullify the grace of God. Because I know if I could achieve my own right standing before God, then Jesus would not have had to die. But he did die. Because you and I can never be good enough on our own. When you understand that, you rest in the righteousness of Christ. You find joy in the righteousness of Christ. As Paul said, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it not only has that powerful saving effect, but when you possess and rest in the righteousness which is by faith in Christ, then it opens wide the door for Christian fellowship. Because we're not measuring ourselves by one another. We're not comparing ourselves by one another. We come together as imperfect, still under process, sinners saved by the grace of God. We come together in the righteousness of Christ. And that's how we come to the table this morning. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. Only a sinner saved by grace. This is my story. To God be the glory. I'm only a sinner saved by grace which provides a perfect righteousness in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together, shall we? If you don't know this, if you don't possess this, then this morning it can be yours. It's a gift. It's purchased. It's paid for. And there's a gracious God who will give to repentant and believing unworthy sinners a righteousness that is perfect through which God will always look at you and accept you as his son, as his daughter. If you've never repented, not just of your sin, if you've never repented of your goodness, if you've never repented of your self-righteousness, then this morning, cry out to God and confess what he knows is already true. I'm not good enough, Father. 
and I never can be. But Jesus lived the life I could never live and died the death that I deserved to die so that I could have a life forever with you. Forgive me and give me the righteousness of Christ today. Father, help us to leave here today laying aside the burden of trying to achieve our own righteousness and resting and rejoicing in the finished, perfect work of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.